hearts as we prepare. You know, I really have what I believe is a word um, of the Lord for you today. But, you know, the key to the word is us hearing it, right, and receiving the word. So uh, let's pray that our hearts would be open. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua Mishikenu. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we praise you and we give you glory and honor. And God, we pray today on this Shabbat, this day that you have set apart for us to be refreshed in you. God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear what your Ruach would say to us. Abba, that we would be those who um, absorb the scripture today, that it would go into our kishkas, that it would be worked out in our flesh that it would produce fruit for your glory. So God, I pray that you would give us those hearing ears and willing hearts. And we ask of B'Shem Yeshua and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The title of this series is Going Right in a Culture Gone Wrong. Wave at me if you believe our culture has gone wrong. Um, It's crazy. Um, Absolute craziness. The things that uh, we see and hear. Um, the things that our kids are exposed to that we were never exposed to. Um, But yet here it is. It's upon us. Um, And God is looking for you and I to go right and do the right things, even though the culture is not. So today's message is specifically entitled, When You Feel Like a Nobody Going Nowhere. Did you ever think about where your life is headed, what you've done, or what you haven't done? Do you ever pause and add up what your life amounts to and come up short? Or maybe you just feel like a rat in a cage turning the big wheel. Life is a treadmill of the same old, same old. You're working hard, but it doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere. You feel underappreciated, overlooked, underpaid, or even unnecessary. Many people who take time to reflect on their lives struggle with these kind of feelings and discouraging thoughts. Some people wrestle with them every single day, saying, what is my life really amounting to? If you take stock in your life and say, what difference is my life making? Does anybody really know or care about me? If you ever thought any of these things, this message is for you. Prayerfully, after you hear this, you will have a different perspective. And our text for today is Tehillim 139, verses 1 through 18. We're going to read that uh, together. Adonai, you have probed me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I stand up. You discern my inclinations from afar. You scrutinize my daily activities. You are so familiar with all my ways that before I speak even a word, Adonai, you know all about it already. You have hemmed me in both behind and in front, and laid your hand on me. 
Such wonderful knowledge is beyond me. Too far, too far too high for me to reach. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I lie down in Sheol, you are there. If I fly away with the wings of the dawn and land beyond the sea, even there your hand would lead me. Your right hand would hold me fast. If I say, let darkness surround me, let the light around me be night, even darkness like this is not too dark for you. Rather, night is as clear as day. Darkness and light are the same. For you fashion my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I thank you. Because I am awesomely made, wonderfully. Your works are wonders. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes could see me as an embryo. But in your book, all my days were already written. My days had been shaped before any of them existed. God, how I prize your thoughts. How many of them there are. If I count them, there are more than grains of sand. If I finish the count, I am still with you. That's a powerful verse. We know portions of that and can relate to it. And today I'm going to bring out four truths. But before we do that, I have a video clip I want to show you, and I want to set it up first. Anyone else? (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Not yet. I feel like I got a heavenly roar. <laughs> Let me set it up for you. The, the movie is Mr. Holland's Opus. Everyone see that? And you, you know the premise of the movie. He is desirous and he has dreams as a young man to be a composer and a conductor. And he finds himself married and needing to get a job, so he goes reluctantly to teach high school as a music teacher. And what he thought would be a a short-term gig ended up to be a 30-year career. And at the end of 30 years, like happens in the public system, budgetary concerns, he ends up getting released because there are no more funds. And he's left thinking, I left my dream to be a teacher, and what do I have for it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What became of my life? It appears as if it was all for naught. And there's many people who feel similarly. Like, what have I done? What have I amounted to? What's going on in my life? That's the premise of the clip. Now listen. Apologies for my tardiness, and uh, Principal Walters, I'd like you to know, yes, I brought a note from my mother. (laughs) Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life 
misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong. Because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. That's powerful. Many people are in the same boat, thinking, gee, what am I doing that's really impacting the world? Look at that, a guy who really, it seemed, was so off course in following his dream, touched so many people. So today we're going to be looking at four truths from this powerful psalm that if believed... You hear me? If believed, are guaranteed to replace pity parties with purposeful pursuits as we learn the true value of our investment in others. And the first thing that you need to hear from this psalm is that Adonai knows you. In the opening six verses of this psalm, there are eight different Hebrew words that are used to tell us that God knows our story intimately. It says, Adonai, you have probed me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I stand up, you discern my inclinations from afar. You scrutinize my daily activities you are so familiar with all my ways that before I speak even a word, Adonai, you know all about it already. You have hemmed me in, both behind and in front, and laid your hand on me. Such wonderful knowledge is beyond me, too far too high for me to reach. One writer put it this way, each of these words conveys a different layer of God's knowledge of each of us. Combined, they picture God like a divine detective, tracking even our most mundane activities, studying us even when we think we're alone. He dissects our inner world into parts, discerning what makes us tick and why we do what we do. He has penetrated past our best foot forward. He has such a grasp of each one of us on a programming level that he knows precisely what you will say or do next, as if it had already been uttered or performed. 
Isn't that powerful? See, we ask questions like, does God see? Right? And this psalm is answering us, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your thoughts before you think them, your words before you say them. God knows the motive of your hearts. He knows your heart, your fears, your thoughts, your motives, your dreams, and your frustrations. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He understands you. How many of us have said, does anyone understand me? He understands you. He gets you. He notices what's going on around you, to you, inside you. In fact, God has you pegged better than you do. You think your motive for doing something is this, when God, who is not fooled, knows it's that. I find it always interesting, and it makes me chuckle, when we as human beings think that somehow we trick God. (laughs) We give God and the answers we know that are right, but in our heart of hearts, we think differently. Thinking that just because we give what he, he wants to hear, that he doesn't know the deepest secrets of our heart. And this psalmist is saying, listen, God knows you every single little thing about you. It almost sounds unnerving, but you can rest assured about this, that God knows you, and here's the kicker, that God knows you, and he knows me, and he still loves you. Isn't that something? God knows some of the things you've said about him. And he still loves you. He still wants to work with you and he still wants to see his promises fulfilled in your life. When David says that God has laid his hand upon him, he's referring to the practice of bestowing a blessing on someone by the laying on of hands. A father in the biblical world would place his hands on his children and speak words into their lives about who they are and who they will be. What their place in the family meant and what their future was. This was one of the most important acts that happened in Israelite families. In the same way, your heavenly Father who knows you bestows blessings on you based in his love. Not based on what we think we need, but based in his love. Not based on what we want, but based in his love. You know, if you think about that clip we saw, Mr. Holland would have preferred to have a career in the limelight. Writing music and performing it and conducting it. Yet that's not the way his life went. And yet it is in the alternate life that he had 
that was very fruitful. And in fact, if we look at it spiritually, it was God's plan for his life. Showing us that God always knows better than we do. Why? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. We think we know what we want. We think we know what we need. But God really knows. And it boils down to a matter of can you trust God to have your best interest at heart? God marks your place in his family. And he knows what your future is all about. In his family, nobodies are non-existent. There's no nobodies in God's family. Everyone's a somebody. Everyone is valued. Everyone is important. Everyone has a plan and a purpose. Everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made. Everybody. Everybody is a somebody. So not only does Adonai know you, but Adonai pursues you. When David affirmed God's thorough knowledge of himself, he concluded in verse 6 that this is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to comprehend it. What he was saying is it is too overwhelming. It's out of my realm of understanding David's first instinct is the same as ours. How can I escape? You ever want to run from God? Run from what's happening to you? Run from life? Run from your family? Where can I hide? If he knows all that, where can I get a place alone by myself where I could just be with me? After all, he knows I'm a hypocrite. He's heard my lies. He saw what I did last week and today and what I'm thinking right now. And I can't get away. Where can I go? said the psalmist, to escape your spirit. Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I lie down in Sheol, you are there. If I fly away with the wings of the dawn and land beyond the sea, even there your hand would lead me. Your right hand would hold me fast. If I say, let darkness surround me. Let the light around me be night, even darkness like this is not too dark for you because you see. (laughs) Rather, night is as clear as day. Darkness and light are the same. We think we could hide from God who we really are. And God pursues us. He doesn't let us to ourselves. He finds us and he's tapping us on the shoulder and saying, I see, I, I know. That's why, how many times have you heard God is waiting for us to just come clean? 
For many people, we think that we're pursuing God. And in fact, I find a truer statement would be God is always pursuing us. And we occasionally pause, turn around, and meet with him. But God is ever pursuing us in the sense he is putting out signals to us to come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Always calling us from our pain, calling us from our pit, calling us from our darkness. Yet, man has an innate ability to turn tail and run from the very one who is pursuing them to bring healing and restoration. David, understanding his vulnerability before the all-knowing God, moved him to ponder if there was some retreat, some geographically or, or spiritual place that he could secretly hide himself away. But God will not let him run away. And I want to tell you this, God will not let you run away. You could run, but you can't hide from God. He says, he tracks my path. Like an expert tracker tracking an animal. God, you know, we think that we could somehow wander away, but yet God is hot on our trail. But not to, the, not to point out what's wrong, and, and maybe that's why we run. Not to point out what's wrong or to exact justice from us. No, he is determined to give us grace and be involved in our life. See, the pursuit of God isn't to say to you, aha, you were wrong and I'm right. If that's what we think of God, we don't really know him. God is pursuing us to give us grace, to show us mercy, to bring us healing, to bring light to our life. That's when David, what's, what David is saying in verse 10 when he says, If I fly away with the wings of the dawn and beyond the sea, even there your hand would lead me, which speaks of God's guidance. God is always looking to guide us, even though we're running. It says, your right hand would hold me fast, which speaks of God's safety and security. God is always looking out for us. Always. He tells Israel, you are inscribed on the palm of my hand. Right? So when you walk and go out through your day, right, people write numbers on their hands to remember them. Why? Because you can't escape it. It's always with you. It's always before you. God is pursuing you, and he's waiting for you to stop running. Stop, in some cases, resisting, and meet with God. What this is trying to get across to each of us is that you and I are wanted by God. Do you hear that? We often wonder, does God love me really? 
Oh, I know God sent his son, but does he really love me? Just me. We see this affirmed throughout all the pages of Scripture. We are called God's beloved, His chosen, His dearly loved children. We are told that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Messiah. Nothing. When you feel the crushing weight of loneliness and wonder if you would be missed if you were gone, remember those words. That you're wanted by God. Listen to this illustration. Marianne Bird writes that when she was growing up, she knew she was different. And I hated it, she said. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a deformed lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked what happened to your lip, she said, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Miss Leonard. She was short, round, happy, sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Remember those hearing tests when you were in grade school? And Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something. And we would have to repeat it back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Oh, the love of God. How rich and pure. How measureless and strong. And this same God pledges to us that we too belong to him because of our faith in Yeshua. God never wishes that will we be separated from him ever. He wants us to be his children. Never separated again. You see, we need to understand that God knows us and God wants us. Not only does Adonai know you, and not only does Adonai pursue you, the next thing we see in this psalm is Adonai himself made you. Let's read verses 13 through 16a together. It says, For you fashioned my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I thank you because I am awesomely made, wonderfully. Your works are wonders. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes could see me as an embryo. Listen carefully and hear these words. Shema. We say it every week. We sing it. But you know what? Shema doesn't mean just hear. It means hear and be attentive and be ready to obey the things that are coming. So hear these words and hear them carefully. It was God who knit you together in your mother's womb. A picture of the intricate attention to detail of a seamstress as she creates a garment one thread at a time. Think of that. God made you one thread at a time. And notice that phrase in verse 13 where David writes, I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. It's clear that after God made you, he threw away the mold. There's no one else like you. You're a one-off, a one-of-a-kind creation. Totally unique, custom, fashioned with awe-inspiring skill by the Almighty right down to your very toe print. We see society, people are always striving to be like someone else. Could you imagine God's confusion in that? Why would they want to be someone else when I made them so uniquely them? I only made one of them. I made them just the way they are, just the way I wanted them to be. And they're off chasing to be a cookie cutter like someone else, to follow along in society and run after and pattern themselves after someone else when I made them exactly the way I wanted. God made us personally. The K computer jointly developed by the IT giant Fujitsu and housed at the Riken Advanced Institute for Computational Science in Kobe was ranked number one in the top 500 list of the world's fastest computers. It can perform, listen to this, 10 quadrillion or 10,000 trillion calculations per second. That's pretty impressive, right? If that impresses you, get this. The human brain processes information as fast as that. As fast as the fastest supercomputer, but at a fraction of its size. Scientists estimate that the brain carries out 10 quadrillion operations a second. So God has done some fancy knitting, wouldn't you say? If you ever wonder what God created in us, it is unbelievable. It's insulting to God for us to throw, to speak of ourselves the way we do. Or even to believe what others say about us. Can you imagine looking at an expensive piece of artwork Right? That's worth millions and millions of dollars. What could we say to it? The creator created it exactly like that because that's exactly 
how they wanted it. Who are we to speak to that? Our words and our opinions don't really matter, right? It's the creator who created it out of his heart that matters. And so why don't we listen to what people say about us when God was so diligent to make us the way he made us? And why do we spend our lives fighting God in the way he made us? Right? The pot saying to the potter, why did you make me like this? And instead of going with the flow with how he made us, we fight God at every turn wanting to be or act like something else. And God's saying, oh, I made you a bowl and you want to be a plate. What are you doing? I made you to be a bowl. And we're trying to chip off our edges and flatten ourselves out. And it just doesn't work. And we get frustrated and we get disappointed. And we're saying, how come I... I'm not accomplishing the things I want to. Maybe we're looking to accomplish the wrong things. Like Mr. Holland. He wanted to be a composer and a conductor, yet he was really best suited to be exactly what he ended up being, a school teacher in a small town touching lives. So God knows you, he wants you, he made you, and lastly, Adonai has plans just for you. Hear that. Let's consider verses 16b through 18. But in your book, all my days were already written. My days had been shaped before any of them existed. God, how I prize your thoughts, how many of them there are. If I count them, there are more than grains of sand. If I finish the count... I am still with you. You see, David paints a picture for us that the screenplay for our lives has already been written by God in the sense that he knows your desired end. He knows the part you're supposed to play to find the most fulfillment and joy. He has the right role just for you. Can you imagine Chewbacca? Maybe God can imagine that. Can you imagine Chewbacca trying to be Luke Skywalker? Just doesn't fit. You see, the Lord has carefully mapped out the details that will fill your days, or perhaps more accurately, your potential. Ordaining what will and will not happen, which is dependent, because when we hear things like this, as if God mapped out my days, then how come my days aren't going as planned? Because we don't always cooperate with his plan. You see, that's why God is ever pursuing us, trying to get us to cooperate. And we're always trying to resist cooperating. 
God is saying, I want you to go down this way. Trust me, if you go down this way, it's going to be really sweet and whistling. No, God, I want to go this way. And God shrugs his shoulders and lets us go. Just like a parent, right, would let the kid go. How many of us parents let our kids do things that we know they really shouldn't do? But they insist on it, and they insist on it, and they insist on it, and you say, all right, go ahead, do it. Only to find them coming back later and saying, Dad, you were right. (laughs) I shouldn't have did it. Our Heavenly Father is the same. He has something mapped out for us, but we spend so much of our time and our energy and our emotions fighting what God has. And he can never get the things he wants to get to us to us because we're picking the wrong path. Trying to, and you know what? It's even hard sometimes because we're looking at a forest. God has this beautiful, wide, spacious path for us, like a tree-lined street. And yet we're in the woods with a machete, hacking through the brush, sweating, all cut up by the thorns and thistles. And we're saying, God, this life stinks. And God's saying, I know. What you're choosing does stink. The moral of this picture is cooperate. Don't fight them. Trust them. Follow his lead. You ever drive up a hill? We did it recently. And it was a hill I know. And you ever driving up a hill and you're coming to the crest of the hill and you get a little nervous because you don't know what's on the other side because you can't visually see it. And so even though you've traveled the road many times and you know it flattens out and you're going to be okay, yet there's always a little fear and trepidation because as you're getting closer and closer, your lack of vision makes you wonder if you're going the right way, if you're doing the right thing. God understands we don't see everything. But that's okay. That's what he's saying. Trust me. I got it mapped out. And you say, but God, I can't see over the crest. It's scary. And God's saying, I got it. Just keep going. You see, God doesn't just set the plan in motion and look the other way. His thoughts are on us constantly. I hope you get that. I mean, I've been praying about this message that you would get it, not just hear it and leave and fellowship and forget it, but these four points that you would get it, that you would understand it, that God, you're on God's heart and his mind constantly, just you, just me. Yet, Later, you're going to be tempted to think, does God even care? No, 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 listen to me. God is thinking about you constantly. 
He looks to greet us each morning with fresh mercy and new opportunities, ready to go through the day with us. He loves your company, and he has specific plans that you alone can fulfill. I want to conclude with this passage of Scripture to one short exhortation. For I know what plans I have in mind for you, says Adonai. Close your eyes and listen. Plans for well-being, not for bad things. So that you can have hope and a future. When you call to me and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you seek me, you will find me, provided you seek for me wholeheartedly, and I will let you find me, says Adonai. Maybe your flesh and blood parents have said words that ring in your ears to this day and they bring you down. Or maybe they didn't just say the words you were longing to hear. Maybe your spouse has ignored you, not appreciated you, even rejected you, verbally, emotionally, or physically. Don't let what another human does define who you are. Don't come to conclusions about yourself based on human judgments. Look higher. You matter to Adonai so much that he sent his son for you. If it was just you, he sent him for you. You belong, you are cherished. You are his forever. You matter to Yeshua. Your life, your concerns, your thoughts. Allow him to access your heart. Let's bow our hearts. Take a second. Allow God to access your heart, not just today, not just now. Allow him to access your heart. Remember that he knows you. He knows what you're thinking now. He knows whether you're fighting even this message, that it doesn't pertain to you. You're the one exception of of everyone in the room. He knows you. He wants you. He made you, and Adonai has plans just for you. I want to encourage you to let God access your heart and don't fight God. You will always lose. You can't fight God and win. You can't carve out your own plan when he has one for you already.
I want to ask the prayer team to come forward. Folks that pray, come on, step forward. And I said at the very beginning of the message that God knows your story. God knows your story. So I'm going to ask that if you just want prayer, I want you to come up. You don't have to say a single word because God knows your story. And have someone just pray over you that you would cooperate with God. Hear me, that you would cooperate. That's all it is. That, that's really all God's ever called us to do. Not to do it in our own strength, not to manufacture anything, but to simply cooperate with him. So if you want prayer, come forward. I'm going to go to the uh, piano and do some ministry. And if you don't want prayer, um, you could do one of two things. You could pray quietly at your seat, or you uh, can be dismissed and go. So um, we're gonna, that's what we're going to do. We're going to conclude with a ministry time. So uh, please feel free to come up for prayer. You don't have to say a word. Just come up, and you can stand before these ones, and they will just pray over you. God bless you, and Shabbat Shalom.